0: Will you pray with me once again as we come to the word this morning? Lord Jesus, if I'm honest, my heart is pounding out of my chest. I am so grateful for what you've done for me. Lord, you know my heart. I am a sinful man, unworthy of a single thing you've done for me. Yet you paid the price for my sin. And as if that wasn't enough, you adopted me into your family and you call me your own. I am wholly unworthy. God, I am unworthy to be your son. I am unworthy to be in your presence. I am unworthy to stand up here and speak your word to this people. But because of what you have done on my behalf, you call me worthy. Thank you, Lord. If I can say it on all of our behalf, thank you. We do not deserve your presence this morning, but as the Apostle Paul says, because of what you've done, we boldly enter the throne room of grace to receive from the Father. So Lord, would your presence meet with us here today? Would you make yourself known during this service? Would you speak to us and through us? Transform our hearts this morning, I pray. Lord, bring your word to life as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been working through uh, the book of Mark, uh, but it's been a couple weeks uh, since we've been able to be together and and discuss Mark. I think four weeks ago was the last time that we were together and uh, and heard a message out of Mark. And so I want to recap some of where we've been. Um, Half of chapter two, we didn't talk about in person. There were some videos that were sent out um, that hopefully you were able to kind of follow along with and and work through um, the other half of chapter two. But I'm just going to kind of recap where we've been uh, getting up to where we're going to be today at the beginning of chapter three. So we find ourselves the first story uh, at the beginning of chapter two, where we were the last time that, that we were together and I was up here, is the story of the paralytic man that was lowered down through the roof, if you remember that story. Uh, Jesus was teaching in this house, and there was so many people gathered there that it was spilling out onto the streets. There, it, it was beyond standing room only. You could not fit another person in the house. But there was these men who had a friend who was paralyzed, and they had this faithful thought, we have to get him to Jesus. If we can just get our friend in front of Jesus, Jesus will make things different. And so these men did something that I never would have thought of. Let's climb on top of this stranger's house, dig a hole in their roof, and lower our friend down so that he can be in Jesus' presence. And so we painted that picture. The friends climb up there. What everyone must have been thinking, they lower their friend down. And in verse 5 of chapter 2, Jesus, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Seeing the faith of these men, this faithful thought, if we can just get them in front of Jesus, everything will be different. Jesus, seeing their faith, said, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" The religious leaders, the Pharisees, were there that day, as they were most days. And believe it or not, they didn't like that. They said, wait, 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 wait. Only God can forgive sins. Who does this man think he is? And it says they started grumbling against him. And Jesus, knowing all things, it says he knew what they were thinking in their heart, and he called them on it. Why are you thinking this? What's easier, to say your, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? And he said, so that you would know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Take up, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man pops up, potentially for the first time in his life, picks up his mat, and walks out under his own strength. The crowd is astonished. The religious leaders are so angry. We go on into the next story, where Jesus makes another faux pas. There's probably a header at the top of Uh, this next part of your Bible that says the calling of Matthew, or perhaps it says the calling of Levi. Jesus, as walking down the street, sees this tax collector sitting at his booth, the man named Levi, and he says, come, follow me. A tax collector back in that day would have been the lowest of the low, the most crooked of the crooked. They were traitors to their culture. They, they, They had defected from Israel, and they worked for Rome not only collecting Rome's taxes, but also whatever they could on top of it. And Rome was cool with it. So they were seen as traitors, as thieves, as sinners. And Jesus says, hey, Levi, come follow me. And the crowd was astonished. Levi would later change his name to Matthew, which is where we get the book of Matthew. Jesus called what would have been the worst of the worst to him And we know the end of the story, how Jesus transformed Matthew's life. But the crowd at the time, especially the religious elite, this was appalling to them. And not only did Jesus say, come follow me, then Jesus went to Matthew's house. And Matthew threw a party with all of his friends. And who would be friends with the worst of the worst? The rest of the worst. Other tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners, those that were seen as untouchable in this society. They came and they sat and they ate with Jesus. To eat with someone back in that day was to put yourself on equal footing with them. And Jesus was lifting up these people who were notorious, and I'm putting it in air quotes in case you're listening later, sinners. To the point where the Pharisees came up and they grabbed his disciples and they said, doesn't he know who he's eating with? In, in their culture, it was illegal to eat with these kinds of people. Because you, you were seen as making yourself just as sinful as they were. And they said, doesn't he know what he's doing? And Jesus' response was this in verse 17. When Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus shrugs off the Pharisees and the religious leaders and says, I didn't come for you. You're convinced that you're righteous and don't need me? I'm not talking to you. I'm here for those that recognize the depths of their sin and are calling out for help. As you can imagine, this did not go over well with the Pharisees that we find in the next section. The Pharisees come up to to Jesus and they say, how come your disciples don't fast? Our disciples fast. John the Baptist, another well-respected man, their disciples fast. How come your disciples don't fast? You're not doing things the way that we do things. You're not being a good Jew, Jesus. And Jesus says to them, you've got this whole thing backwards. He says, for them to fast would be like going to a wedding and not eating at the meal because you miss the groom who's sitting right there. He said, "It, it wouldn't make any sense. There will come a day when they will fast, but for right now, I'm here. Why would they? Fasting was this way of seeking the face of God. And Jesus was going, they know what they're about. Right now they're celebrating because I'm here with them. There's no need to fast. And then Jesus kind of shifts things on them. And he says, look, every, like the way that you view everything in life is about to change. He tells them, the, the way that you approach God, it's like an old torn jacket. And I'm bringing new things. And let me tell you, you can't mix the two. You try to put a new patch on an old worn jacket, the patch is going to shrink and pull away and the jacket's going to be worse than it was before. And he gives them this illustration in verse 22. And no one puts new wine into an old wineskin. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. He's telling them every way that you know to approach God is going away. Remember, Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom message. Everything's going to change because the kingdom you've been waiting for is here. Why? Because the king is here. And everything's going to be different. We're not going to be able to do things the old way. A new way is coming. New wine for new wineskins. Shortly after that, the next section, Jesus is walking through a field on the Sabbath. Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, in case you're not familiar with this, every Saturday in Jewish culture was called the, Saturday, or the Sabbath. Excuse me, It was a holy day, a day set apart by the Lord himself. It's part of the Ten Commandments to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, what that meant was there's a one day every week where you're not to do any work. There's one day every week where your sole purpose is to rest and remember how it's God that provides for you, not you providing for yourself. Because listen, they, they were in an agrarian culture. Like everyone was, was fishermen, raised livestock, was farmers. Like it was all about getting out there and working with your hands. There was no stocks and bonds, and they're just waiting for the dividends to come in. You don't work, you don't eat. And God told them, one day a week, I want you to let yourself get a day behind. Because by doing that, you'll see that it's me that provides for you. And so they were told, do no work. The problem was the the rabbis and the Pharisees, the religious leaders throughout the hundreds of years before Jesus, they started to define what work was. There was a certain number of steps you could take from your house on a Sabbath before it became work. One step too much and you were a Sabbath breaker and you were shunned, perhaps even stoned to death. You couldn't do anything that looked like work. They started putting all of these man-made regulations on it. So Jesus and his boys are walking through this grain field one day on a Sabbath, and they start just plucking off heads of wheat, and they rub them together in their hands to get the grain. Basically, snacking as they go. Now, if someone walked through my field and was taking all the heads of wheat, I'd probably be mad, but back then, this was an okay thing to do. It's not like they were stealing. But the Pharisees came up to them, and they said, this that you're doing... That's threshing. You're harvesting right now. Therefore, you're sinning. You're breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus has this to say to them. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus was telling them, you've got it all wrong. The way that you are approaching the law, their religion at the time, was as if man exists to fulfill the religion, And Jesus said, it's backwards. The whole point of the law, the whole point of the religion that God gave was to free man up, to live the life that God has called him to live. It was meant to set man free, but the religious orders at the time were using it as a weight to hold man down. Jesus later accused these same Pharisees of creating new ways to put weight on the people and not lifting a finger to help them. It was an accusation. It was actually on the the tail end of a woe. Woe to you Pharisees. And you never want to be on a tail end of one of Jesus' woes. It was not a good place to be. But he said, you are known for making this religion heavy on people when it was meant to serve them and to lift them up. So again, Jesus and the religious leaders clash The entire chapter, and we'll keep going, is story after story of Jesus clashing with the religious leaders because he continually tells them this kingdom message, your old way of approaching God, doesn't work. It's going away, and a new way is coming. This was difficult, to say the least, for the religious leaders of the time. And so we find ourselves now in Mark chapter 3. Let me read the first six verses, and then we'll break it down. Now he, he being Jesus, entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. He told the man with the paralyzed hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched out his hand and was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Real quick, Pharisees were the Jewish religious leaders Herodians were the pagan leaders of the time. They were following King Herod. And so these Jewish religious leaders started partnering with the pagan leaders, going, how do we take this guy down? Okay, in case you're wondering, what are Herodians? So let's picture this scene real quick. It says, now again, Jesus was in the synagogue. This was Jesus' kind of home base. Actually, everything that we have in Mark so far happens in this same area of Capernaum. This was a synagogue that Jesus had been at many times. These people already knew what Jesus was about. They had heard his kingdom message. They had seen his miracles. They had seen him casting out evil spirits. They knew what Jesus was about. So everyone knows on the Sabbath, Jesus gets up and he does what Jesus does. And there was a lot of people there for the show. The Pharisees came with a different intent in mind. Let's see if we can catch this guy. If we can put him in a situation where he heals on the Sabbath, we got him. That's work. We got him. And so everyone knows. People have seen what Jesus does. He almost can't help himself. He has to heal. And they see the guy sitting in the front row with the crippled hand. What's going to happen? Like it is set for a showdown and everybody there knows it. You see that Jesus he knows his role too. He gets up. He doesn't say anything else. He just looks at the guy and goes, "Come here." Jesus, I know what we're all here for. They want to see what I'm going to do. And he calls the paralyzed man up to him, the man with the paralyzed hand up to him. The stage is set for a confrontation. When Jesus calls that man up, if you think about it, the Pharisees have to be going, "We got him." I knew he couldn't help himself. We Got him. All the people that were in the crowd, they had probably at this point in time already heard about his whole I'm Lord of the Sabbath speech. And they're waiting to see what's going to happen. Like Jerry Springer was about to break out in this place and they were ready for it. If you're younger than 30 and don't know who Jerry Springer is, God bless you. (laughs) The stage... Is set. The Pharisees are set like, we got him. He's already stepped into the trap. He's ours. They were so bent on being right. They were so bent on overcoming Jesus that they missed two incredibly important things. They were so bent on destroying him, on being victorious over him, that they missed two incredibly important things. The first was their own hypocrisy. Let me ask you this question. Who was working harder on that Sabbath day? Jesus even calls them on it. In verse 4, he says, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or what is evil, to save a life or to kill it? You guys are plotting and orchestrating and, and... we see that they leave to go plot his death, which kind of sounds like work. Jesus says, who do you think is working harder today? Look at the work that Jesus does. Stretch out your hand. They have seen him heal before. He didn't break a sweat. He would do this all day and all night, all the people from the region coming to him, and Jesus was in the habit of healing. And again, they had seen it. I don't even know how this man with the paralyzed hand had made it this far without being healed yet. But they knew he just speaks a word. And Jesus looks at him and says, Who do you think is working harder today? You to destroy me or me to bring this man life? You are hypocrites. But they missed it because they were so wrapped up in overcoming Jesus. They were so wrapped up in winning, in being seen as right, that they missed their own hypocrisy. When our aim is to be seen as being right, we will end up on the wrong side every single time, church. It's not like we're better than them. When we set out to be right, when we set out to win, to win the argument, it is impossible to overcome you and love you at the same time. Jesus would later say when they asked him, what's the greatest commandment in all of the law? What was his answer, church? There's two two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot be an adversary with someone and love them at the same time. You cannot set out to overcome someone, to beat them, to win the argument, to, to make yourself look good, whatever it may be, you cannot do that and love that person at the same time. It's impossible. Listen, as a married man, I get this. There are many times when my wife and I have become adversaries, and it's become just about winning the argument, and in those times my pride is coming out in all of this, and every single time I have to come back later and say, I'm sorry, it, I was selfish, I was blinded by my pride. I just wanted to be right. But in order to be right, I had to trample over you to get there. The Pharisees have made this mistake, only they did it on a big stage with an opponent that they could not overcome. But they were so blinded by needing to be right, by needing to overcome him, that they missed the fact that they were breaking the very law they claimed to uphold the law that was meant to free men up, to build men up, they were trying to use to crush and destroy. When my aim is to be right and overcome others, I will miss the Lord every single time. When I set myself up against another person, I'm setting myself up against the Lord because his command is to love, not to overcome. They were so bent on being right, on overcoming Jesus, that they missed their own hypocrisy. And second, they missed their opportunity for compassion. It says in verse 5, Jesus asked them that question, which is right on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill it. It says they were silent. And after looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts... Do you guys know you can feel two different emotions at the same time? I just learned it like six months ago. From Daniel Tiger. Thank you. If you've never watched my son's show, and they talked about it, and I was like, oh, it's true. For about the first 15 years of Kim and I's marriage, she she would always joke, but man, was she right. I had two emotions, angry and, okay, that was it. And the two could not be experienced at the same time. I'm growing in that now. I have like a third emotion, which is like... Okay, like but, but Jesus looked at these people with anger and sorrow at the hardness of his heart, at the hardness of their hearts. First he was angry because he's going, you as the religious leaders, were called to be the shepherds of God's people. You were called to lead people back to him, but instead you've put barriers in their way. Instead you're here playing games with me, and it made the king angry. I have given you this position, I have given you this knowledge to use for the benefit of other people, and you've chose to use it selfishly, and it made the king angry. But he was also filled with sorrow. They had fallen into their own trap, and they couldn't even see it. And Jesus, instead of just desiring to crush them like they desired for him, had compassion. Compassion. And his heart was sorrowful for them because he saw them as they truly were, men who were trapped in their own system. Here was a man with a paralyzed hand. He had come to the synagogue because he wanted to be free. He wanted healing. He wanted to meet with his God and be restored. And these men were using him as a pawn. Let's see if we can trap Jesus with this guy. Look at how they respond. Jesus looks at them with sorrow and anger in his heart, and he tells the man, stretch out your hand. And he does, and he is restored. And how do the Pharisees respond? They leave to plot Jesus' death because they are embarrassed and they are infuriated that a man was healed. Think of how messed up it would have to be if someone was called up here and we saw them healed from a lifelong infirmity and you were mad about it. Something is something's wrong. Something is jacked up. But these men were so blind to it. Because all they could do was want to be right. Was want to overcome. Was want to be seen as they had been as the Pharisees. They were made to look like the bad guys. And this got under their skin. So they looked to destroy to break the law that they were were meant to hold up. And they completely lacked compassion on the people they were called to shepherd. I believe that they were in this situation because they felt threatened by Jesus and his message. When Jesus would say, old wineskins are going away, the old jacket and its old patches are going away, The old way of approaching God is going away. What did that mean for these men? Everything you've ever known is going away. Everything that you've ever stood on to get an identity, to to have the look at me type stuff, is going away. They were threatened by Jesus and his message. Jesus' new way meant that their way was going by the wayside there's only really two responses when we feel threatened. There's only two responses you can have, if you're these men, to the threat of this new kingdom. The first is to fight back and to overcome, which is what they chose. This is something different. It's something new. It's something that's probably going to cost us. It's something that's threatening our identity, our livelihoods, the way that we feel comfortable. The one response is to fight back let's get this guy out of here let's like think about it imagine if a group of pastors got together to plot someone's murder we like it's hard for us to even get our heads around you know what i mean because we go well they would never because they're called to love the pharisees were their pastors of the day their religious leaders and how did they spend their time sitting together as a group trying to figure out how do we murder this man we have to get him out of here because he is a threat to everything we know, to everything we hold dear. We have to erase him. The second way to respond to that threat of the kingdom is to humble yourself. This guy has shown us things that no one else has ever shown us, this guy has done things that are impossible that the only rational explanation, especially for a group of religious people, is that God is using this man to do these things. These things are done as as a proof to show that like his teaching is from the Lord. It's scary. It threatens me, my way of life, my comfort, all of these things. We can fight him, or we can humble ourselves. Or we can humble ourselves and we can follow him. Now, this is a, it's easy to read a story and to go, wow, those guys missed it. Those guys should have done something different. But it's a little different when we bring it closer to home. So, what I want to do is what we've been doing to end a lot of our messages together is have a time for you guys to respond. Um, for you guys to share what's on your heart. As we say all the time, I'm not the only one that the Lord desires to use to speak. I'm not the only one who has studied this before. So we want to hear from you guys. And so I'm going to ask two questions uh, and and just leave space um, for you to respond. Let's, Let's learn from each other. The first is this, looking into this story, from what we know, what beliefs or priorities did the Pharisees have that clashed with the kingdom beliefs? The reason that they felt so threatened is because the kingdom priorities, the kingdom beliefs, clashed with their own. The things that the king said were more important were not the things they wanted to be important. The things that they wanted to be the most important, the priority, the king said were not. There was this clash that came because the kingdom beliefs were different from their own. So what were some of the beliefs, priorities that the Pharisees had that clashed with the kingdoms? Does that make sense? Do you guys understand the question? Okay. What do you think? What were they in danger of losing? How how were their priorities different from the kingdom priorities? Okay. All their traditions, like the law, was not the way that it was going to be going forward anymore. What did they lose if the law went away? If their traditions went away, what did they lose? Importance, power, pride. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it was real simple at that point. I don't have to know you. If I see you do this, you're out. If I see you do this, you're in. And it was also a pretty important way to measure who was better, which was typically them. I had mentioned before, like... When you write the laws, you're pretty adept at finding loopholes in the laws. So like for instance, I, I'd mentioned like a Sabbath day's walk, uh, where there was a certain number of steps you could take from your home before it was considered work. So what the Pharisees did is they went, you know, but all it takes to be your home is to have like a meal and a roof over your head, and that's your home. So they would go out the day before the Sabbath, and they would build a little lean-to and leave a loaf of bread and, jo- and a uh, bottle of wine there. And so they would go, now I can double how far I'm going because I'm walking from one home to another home and now I get another Sabbath day's walk. And they would do this multiple times. So they could get around these laws however they wanted and go, look at me, I'm so pious. And then they were just waiting to crack the whip on anyone else that did it. It was a way to measure themselves as better, absolutely. What else? Beliefs, priorities that clashed with the kingdom. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. there's a story uh, in the Gospels where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and they're watching people. They're, they made a very public thing of, of giving tithes and offerings. There was a place you went where crowds would gather to see who put what into the temple coffers. And Jesus points out a couple of Pharisees that come up and they just put huge amounts of money in. And Jesus looks at them and goes, these guys don't get it. And then the, the widow comes with her two pennies. All she has to live on puts them in and the goes, she gets it. These, it shows two things. One, that these men were incredibly wealthy. And where did their wealth come from? This whole system that Jesus was threatening. Being a Pharisee is what they did, and business was good. They were wealthy off of this, and Jesus was now starting to threaten the, their very foundation, their security. Yeah. Yeah, I think last week, for those of you that were here, um, Pastor Ken Hawkins was here and just sharing with us the ministry that he has to to addicts and, and the homeless and all this. And I was threatened as I was sitting there because I was going, that's great for him, but Lord, you're not calling me to do something like that, are you? Not with those people, not in that way. That doesn't sound safe. It, I, I don't know the rules when I would go into a place like that. Like, Good for him, but you're not calling me to do that, are you? And I have to imagine the Pharisees, we're, were looking at that same thing, their security of, no, 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 we're over here. We keep everyone else over there. That's their security. And then they say, Jesus, touching the leper, sitting and eating with the prostitutes. And it had to be part of them that going, certainly we're not supposed to do that, though, right? And they were threatened because of it. Anything else? Ways that the Pharisees were threatened. By this kingdom message. So now let's bring it a little closer to home. What beliefs or priorities do you or do we have that clash with the kingdom beliefs? Have you ever read passages of scripture that made your heart start beating faster? Because God wouldn't really call me to do that, would He? Or to give that up? Or to value this above that, would He? What what do you believe, what do you prioritize, or what do we as a church or a culture prioritize that clash with the kingdom? Let's get them out on the table so that we can deal with them. Comfort. How so? I wholeheartedly agree. How so? I'm with Kim personally, and I think as a culture, church culture, American culture, whatever, our personal comfort is pretty high up on our list of priorities. When I look at the kingdom, I see sacrifice. I see generosity. I see giving up comfort as one of the cornerstones of the kingdom. And that is a clash. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the kingdom message is one of faith. One of, I mean, as we remembered communion earlier, I was at a spot where I couldn't save myself, and we remember him and give thanks because that's when he stepped in. But our culture is a pull yourself up by the bootstraps. How many of you guys have ever heard and maybe believed, maybe even thought it was in the Bible, God only helps those who help themselves, right? Wrong. That is not a kingdom message. But that's the, that's the message of our, certainly like kind of the Christianese of our American culture. God can't steer a parked car. Get moving. Get working on it yourself. Fix it yourself. God will bless it then. And that's not a kingdom message. What other priorities, beliefs, do we have? Mm. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, I think of Philippians chapter two. If you couldn't hear Cheryl said, our rights. Uh, we we really prioritize our rights, our liberties, our freedoms. I have the right to do this, the right to do that. I think of Philippians 2, where it says that Jesus, if anyone could have come demanding his rights, it was Jesus. But he laid all that down, and it says he became a servant of all. Laying down his rights, not only the rights of, of him as God, but even his earthly rights, he laid them down to serve others. And that is incredibly challenging. That is a clash of the kingdom in my own heart and soul. I see someone else who started to raise a hand. or Tim? Absolutely. It's, it's put in so many different ways in the scriptures, whether it's Peter talking about your aliens in this life. This is not your home. Paul talks about it. Your citizens in the kingdom. The writer of Hebrews talks about it. But man, that identity, especially that national identity, runs real strong. And does it fit with the kingdom? What else? Okay. How so? Yeah, yeah, and that, that kind of ties in so many of the things that have been mentioned so far. We, we just want things to be easy. We want to just be able to go with the flow. We don't want to have to stand up against something. We don't want to have be, to be ridiculed or persecuted. But in the kingdom, Jesus says, man, when you're persecuted in for my name, that you are blessed. Our culture, our beliefs tell us do anything possible to avoid persecution because it'll hurt. Run from it. Let it be somebody else's problem. And that does not mesh with the kingdom. What else? Yes. I found anything that starts with a hashtag, I'm against. So, hashtag blessed, I won't stand for it. But no, that's, that's exactly right. The Beatitudes are, are a perfect example of Jesus going, everything you think is bad, I'm telling you the Lord uses it to bless. And then everything that you think is good and powerful, I'm telling you the Lord's calling you to lay it aside. It was incredibly countercultural and threatening. What else? So the question is, now that we have some of them out on the table, it's going to be different for each and every one of us in here, for each family, for each individual. There's some, we probably have our top priorities organized a little bit differently than each other, but there's a lot of commonality. So the question is, what do we do about it? You, you have read the verses before. You've probably been challenged as we've gone through teaching on some of this. Probably at some point in time you've gone, ooh, I do that. You've seen the Pharisees do something and you go, ooh, I'm in in danger of that one. I value the same thing they value. The question now is, what do we do? Do we dig in our heels and do we fight? Do we try to rationalize why it's okay when I do it? Or do we humble ourselves and pray as Jesus did before the cross, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I lay down my rights, my comfort, my identity, everything that I've earned for myself, everything that I stand on that's not of you, I lay it down, and I say, not my will, but your will be done. That is the prayer of humility. Will we pray that? Because let me tell you, it scares me even just saying that, because I really like my will. That's why it's mine. But am I willing to let it be nailed to the cross so that the kingdom can be lived out through me. That is, that's the question. That's what the Pharisees missed. That's what the disciples grabbed hold of when they left everything to follow him. I love Peter puts it so good. He goes, Lord, where else are we going to go? You're the only one that has the words of life. There are so many questions we don't have answers to. There are so many things that don't make sense, but you are the only one who has life, and will give up everything for it. They gave up security. They gave up their identity. They gave up, and sometimes their families. They, they gave it all up because they went, Jesus, wherever you are, that's where I want to be regardless of the cost. Are we willing to do the same thing? That is the question that each of us has to answer. So I'm going to ask the music team to come up, and we're going to close with a song. And as we do, if, if you struggle with quiet time for a minute or two, then you probably hate it here, but we're going to take just a minute and be still before the Lord. What is, just pick one, maybe all of those were resonating in your heart of things that I'm tempted to prioritize and the king's calling me to put down, just pick one. What is it that the Lord is calling you to lay at his feet so that the kingdom can be lived out through you? And are you willing to do it? So let's take a moment and just listen for the Lord there.